my loves, and welcome to another episode of the Motherkind Podcast with me, Zoe Blasky, where each week I chat about all things motherhood and well-being. Now this week, I know I say this every week, but this week is with an absolutely amazing woman. I have followed Emma Cannon for years and years and years and years. She is probably London's, if not the UK's, best known fertility expert. So this week's podcast is all about fertility. But what I particularly love about my chat with Emma is that we do obviously talk about fertility in its very literal sense, but we also talk about this idea of being fertile in our lives and what that means. So even if you have never struggled with fertility or you're not trying to conceive, I still think you'll get loads out of this episode. So Emma is a fertility and women's health expert. She has run her clinic for 20 years. In fact, she has seen over 50,000 women. And in the podcast, I asked her whether there were any common threads and she gives a fantastic answer to that question of all those women that she's seen over the years. She's got five books. Her latest book is called Fertile, which was launched in March this year. And I would encourage you to check that out. And she did a TED talk, I think it was last year, called it's time we valued being fertile which is brilliant it's really really good and in that ted talk she talks about what she is teaching her teenage daughters about being fertile which is just brilliant so that's the other side of this is what we're teaching our children about fertility and looking after our women's health So Emma and I chat about her journey from corporate life into being a fertility expert. I've been in London, you know, and I've been working hard and partying hard and I felt like my health was going downhill and I felt like I had to do something about it. We chat about struggling to conceive, how she helps that process, what the impact of modern life and stress has on conceiving. And at what point do you say that somebody is sick and infertile and at what point are they subfertile? So I think it lends itself much more to that idea of cultivating health and preservation. We talk about some bigger topics as well, like control and perfectionism and how they weave into this idea of both trying to conceive and also living a fertile life. So nourishment is all about the food that we eat, but it's also about where else in our life do we get nourishment from. So what nourishes us, what nourishes our soul. Emma has a new online course which is launching this week called 90 Days Fertile. I've looked at it, it's absolutely brilliant. We talk about it in the podcast, so if you listen all the way through, you'll learn all about the course. And she has kindly given all the listeners to this podcast 10% off with the code MOTHERKIND10. So I'll pop that on Instagram, but if you're interested in the course, then check out Emma's website, which is just emmacannon.co.uk. And I really hope you enjoy it. This one is just full of nuggets of wisdom. And I found myself, like even as I was doing the interview, jotting down notes of things that I really wanted to remember and share more broadly. So yeah, it's a great one. I hope you enjoy it. And if you did, as ever, tell your friends, share it. If you know anyone struggling to conceive who might find this podcast supportive, then please do send it on to them and give us a rating on iTunes. It does make a difference to the number of people we can reach with this brilliant content so that's it for this week i really hope you enjoy it and let me know on instagram and here it is enjoy so emma welcome to the mother kind podcast i'm so happy to have you here oh i'm really happy to be here it's such an honor to be able to talk about all of this stuff at, at this time when women really need this information so mm. thank you for giving me the opportunity oh well thank you for the work that you do because even though i've never personally struggled with my fertility i've followed you from afar for many years I love your holistic approach and your ability to look beyond what might be happening in front of you and look deeper and I've really resonated with that message so thank you. Oh that's a pleasure. And we're both struggling a bit this morning aren't we? (laughs) Lack of sleep. (laughs) How do you look after yourself when you feel a little bit under par? Well, actually, it's funny because as soon as I come into clinic, I am really in my best self, I think. Mm. It's a place where I feel most integrated, most whole, most authentic. And 
as I say that, I can literally feel my heart just like expanding hugely. And it gives me so much energy to do this work. So I just feel that this is what I was put on this earth to do. And so mm. it really fills me up. And of course, I look after myself outside of that. But I can always get through clinic, no matter what kind of night I've had. <laughs> well, it's a bit like a day of parenting, isn't it? Sure. Like, I feel like I can always get through it. It's hard. It's really hard sometimes. But... I can get through it and then she's in bed and then I might crumble onto the floor, you know, yeah. in exhaustion. For a bit of context, we're recording this in Emma's clinic and it's absolutely beautiful. The energy in here is really calming. Yeah, and I think a lot of healing work goes on in here and uh, these walls have ears and they've listened to a lot of women's stories. And, you know, I think as soon as I come in here, I do my little water ceremony, I fill my jug up with water and I think about all the women in the world that have to travel huge distances to get just clean water for their yeah. family. Yeah. And I feel immensely grateful for that and also just to be able to do this work. So I always start the day with gratitude and that really helps as well. Yeah, me too. Mm. It's a really good anchor for me before all the crazy stuff starts happening yeah. outside. And I listened to your TED talk at the weekend, which I loved. There's so much I loved about it. I'm sure we'll touch on it as we go through the chat. But one thing that struck me was the 50,000 hours. <laughs> it's probably more than that now. Yeah, and I only know that because my publishers asked me, they said to me, how many hours practice do you think you have? And I sort of sat down and worked it all out and I was just like, oh my God. Because of course there's the Malcolm Gladwell thing that it's 10,000 yes. hours to be an expert. So, I mean, I don't know what we would call you, you're beyond. I know, and that is for me, and I have to stop myself from doing so many hours practice sometimes because I love it. And it's definitely mm. when I feel most comfortable. But since the TED Talk, I have been trying to do less hours and actually get out into the world a bit more and do podcasts and talk a bit more because I feel like I'm sort of stepping up to that age where I want to get out and share it more and I think in this day of where we can communicate so well across so many different mediums I really want to take what I've learned and if it can be any help to the world mm. at all I feel like that's an important next stage for me. Well we're going to talk about that through the chat because you've got a really exciting new online program launching and I really want to get into that but before we do just on those 50,000 hours and all the women and the stories that you've heard are there common threads through the stories or is everyone totally different in the challenges that they face with life I mean there definitely are common threads and you know I think that yeah there's common threads like uh, grief and anxiety and control and things like that. I mean, control's a big one, and um, perfectionism. Yeah, there are common threads that we are all guilty of. We all come with that baggage, whether we're trying for a baby or not. And yeah, so I think in terms of emotional pictures, there are common threads, but there are also common threads in terms of medical conditions as well, obviously. So one of the big things I see is polycystic ovaries, no right. periods, no periods having come off the pill, no periods from over-exercise is huge. No periods from changing diet. Sometimes when people change diet to a very restrictive diet mm. and then they exercise a lot, their periods stop. So those are very common themes. And I think a lot of frustration as well because I think modern women are used to, if I try harder, I will achieve my goal. And it's very difficult when that doesn't happen. And often people aren't infertile, they're impatient. <laughs> and, uh, and of course there are the genuinely infertile women and couples as well. So what's the average time then that it takes? So how do we know if we're impatient or infertile? It can even take, even a year of trying, having regular sex can be considered normal. Yeah. But I don't really work with normals. I've got the statistics and they're there in the back of my head, but I try and look at the individual in mm -hmm. front of me. And, you know, if they're 43 and they've only been trying for three months I'm not going to go oh that's normal try for another you know yeah, yeah you know that I don't think that would be fair and equally I think some people put enormous amount of pressure on themselves very early on they anticipate there being a problem so even after two months then they pile the pressure on themselves because it hasn't happened. So, you know, there's sort of two situations, I think. There's stress, I always, always wonder if stress can affect fertility. And I think there's stress that we can't avoid, like the work stress and things like that. Mm. But I do think sometimes we put this own stress on ourselves. And I do it for myself in other areas of my life, but it's that, uh, okay, I'm not pregnant now after two months, there must be something wrong. It's that deep paradox, isn't it? And often the thing that you want 
the most in your life you have the least control over to some extent I know you know there's mm. lots that we can mm. do and you talk a lot about control yes and control is one of my big areas as well is that, that you know what's so good about control <laughs> I know I loved it when you said that on your yeah. talk that a lot of the good things happen when we let go yes exactly like falling in love good things like that so I think control is a really big issue and I think the more out of control we feel the more controlling we are with things like food exercise Exactly, exactly. So that is definitely a common theme that I see time and time again, and it's definitely a sort of a modern phenomenon, really, that we exert this huge amount of control. And we think so much, you know, we value the mind so much. Yeah. Of course, the mind is an incredible thing, but we value the mind over everything, over intuition, over all of those other tools that we have as women, you know, that deep wisdom within us that we all have. And then we put so much value on, on thoughts and feelings. I mean, they're just, they're quite unreliable, actually. Very unreliable. I, uh, this is something that I'm really passionate about teaching and sharing. Mm. And, you know, I'm, I'm a recovering controller and I'm a recovering overthinker. Mm. So, you know, I've really had to learn about letting go and trusting. And something really helped me is Jill Bolte-Taylor, who wrote about her stroke of insight. Oh, yes. And she said, you know, just to put it in context, your thoughts come from a part of your brain which is the size of a peanut. Yes. And you're letting that control and dictate your entire outlook absolutely and you know I remember that today when I'm like stuck in my head yeah how do you drop into your body or how do you teach your patients to drop into their body and connect with that well I think acupuncture is amazing at that and I would mm. say that that is when I first discovered acupuncture I went from being an overthinker to having a very serene mind. You know? How and did you discover it? I kept getting ill and I'd been in London, you know, and I'd been working hard and partying hard and I felt like my health was going downhill and I felt like I had to do something about it. And I never really fitted in. Like, I, I'd never... What work were you doing? You yeah, I was sort of working in an office and I hadn't really found my way yeah. and I was working in an oil company. It was all about money and it was all very corporate and I'm definitely not a corporate person, you know. And... I just hadn't found my groove in life at all. And then I read this book called The Web That Has No Weaver, which is an amazing book. And I would have that typical rumination brain that I see a lot of people have, which is like your little hamster on a wheel in your head and you have the same thoughts that go round and round and round and round and round. And they, you just can't really come to any conclusion. You become really self-absorbed. Mm. And I found that when I had acupuncture, that immediately stopped. And my thought process became so much clearer and I was able to make decisions from a really calm, wise part of myself. Mm -hmm. And things literally flowed in my life. And wow. it was extraordinary. And was it a really natural thing then? You are like, I'm going to train to do this. Or yeah. did it take you a while to get to there? Yeah, I mean, it took me a little while. I did shiatsu first and then I mentored in this amazing clinic where I used to just go and take pulses and look at tongues. And then I was like, right, I'm definitely going to do this. And it was life-changing. I mean, discovering Chinese medicine was life-changing. The experience of having acupuncture, but also that idea that our emotions and our physical symptoms mm -hmm. aren't separate. Mm -hmm. To me, that has always been huge. And then the third thing I would say is the diagnosis. The diagnosis is so elegant and beautiful. You don't treat disease, you treat the person. <laughs> so three people with endometriosis could sit in front of me and I would treat them in an entirely different way, depending on how it was manifesting in them. And what were the other causes? So. I think most people know what acupuncture is. And, yeah. But for someone who doesn't know what Chinese medicine is, do you mind just giving a bit sort of background of the philosophy of it? Yeah, I mean, Chinese medicine is very, very ancient and very old. It's part of Eastern tradition, like Ayurvedic. So these go back thousands of years. So they have many, many years of clinical data backing up their treatments. And acupuncture is one of the oldest treatment forms in existence today. And I'm a great fan of Western medicine, as everyone knows but Western medicine is in its infancy compared to these very wise systems of medicine and that's one of the appeals for me working in an integrated way is Western medicine is developing all the time and it may well include all of these things in its remit whereas these ancient systems it's slightly different they sort of have been written the books been written they exist but actually they really can be adapted to modern day living very well so Chinese medicine it's really about cultivating health so they were the original preventative healthcare system if you like so it's cultivating health through diet lifestyle um, treatments such as herbal medicine acupuncture tween or massage and also things that you can do yourself like exercise that restores health not the sort of exercise that we see on Instagram the really <laughs> not 
hit. Not, no, none of that. <laughs> it's like cultivating energy and it's more about getting the energy to move around the body mm. while not exhausting the energy of the body. A lot of the exercise that we see in modern day, yes, it gets the heart rate up, but it actually does it at the cost of the energy, so exhausting the chi, which is your energy, and the blood. So a lot of women come and see me and they're actually very depleted in energy. And a lot of modern living depletes our energy. Mm. So acupuncture is just part of a whole system of medicine. And in China, even today, if you went into hospital, you know, you might be offered acupuncture or herbal medicine, depending on what, you know, what was wrong. If you went to see a fertility expert, you know, they work very much together in that integrated way, which is why it's always really appealed to me as well. And I think, you know, I was reading about some of the stats and I know, you know, what you're saying around looking at the person, but the statistics for the outcome of fertility around acupuncture is quite staggering to me. Yeah, I mean, they keep re- repeating the same piece of research over and over Oh, is it? That's probably the <laughs> one I read, like sorry. Twi- no, 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 it's fine. <laughs> I mean, it's great. I'm very grateful that they're doing any research at all. It's brilliant, but it's hilariously Western medicine. It's like, right, we're going to just repeat this one bit of research. We think we've found lots of times that it's beneficial. We're not going to think outside of that. We're just going to keep on doing the same piece of research. And the piece of research, which I'm very grateful for, it's using acupuncture before and after embryo transfer during an IVF cycle. And the stats have shown that it can increase live birth up to 20%. But instead of saying, isn't this amazing? I wonder what it could do outside of just treating someone before and after. They've just repeated that study over and over again the same one pretty right. much right okay they've done slightly <laughs> different things and different you know and it's fine that's science that's how it has to run trials but my question would always be if it can do this yeah. what else can it do yeah so that's where i would like to see the research going and it's difficult because there isn't the incentive like there is with big drugs companies to put on very expensive long trials that the you know science community then respect because who's going to put the money up for that so it's, it's difficult there are challenges Mm, exactly and while we're sort of on this track thinking about success rates around Mm. fertility are there particular things that you recommend people do if they're struggling with their fertility I read somewhere you know the tips you would give to your daughters and I really liked that (laughs) idea of thinking about you know what can we do before we struggle with a fertility so like a fertility preservation so, yeah so it's, it's interesting actually because since i think it was google and facebook decided that they were going to freeze women's eggs yeah of an initiative yeah. to preserve their fertility slightly cynical but anyway i think fertility wasn't even really on the map mm-hmm. and that really raised it as an issue in women's minds so i think that was really really great they did that and i certainly saw a difference in people coming to me in the clinic because of course from a western medicine point of view really when you think of fertility preservation all you think about is freezing eggs that's pretty much all you think about i would expand that out in the western medicine field to actually what we don't have a tradition of in, in this country necessarily is going to see gynecologists regularly prior to you know it's a really good point yeah. i never did no we don't and then what we tend to do and this is because the way that the healthcare system has been set up in this country is we tend to wait till we get sick and then need help. But of course, fertility is a really odd one because you're not necessarily sick, but you're still suffering. Mm. And at what point do you say that somebody is sick and infertile and in what point are they subfertile? So I think it lends itself much more to that idea of cultivating health and preservation. So I would put into that fertility preservation reducing alcohol prior to wanting to start, making sure your gynaecology is in check, being checked regularly for STDs to make sure you don't have any pelvic inflammatory disease or anything like that, which can cause problems, blocks in tube. If you're not having your period, it's not a great idea for your fertility. Actually, lack of ovulation or anovulatory cycles are the most common cause of infertility. I mean, I think we very much focus on age and of course, yes, age is a growing issue but there are all sorts of women who started trying when they were younger that still struggled they very rarely get a voice those women yeah so as part of my fertility preservation plan it would be being mindful of all of those different areas and not smoking as well because smoking ages you in fertility terms by quite a significant amount 
Wow, so I didn't know that either. Yeah. I mean, obviously I knew it was a terrible yeah. idea, but I didn't know that was... Yeah, from in terms of egg quality, but also in terms of uh, endometrial thickness, so the lining of the womb, it's really things that and the problem with all of the lifestyle stuff is they tend to affect you more as you get older because your powers of recovery and rejuvenation are greatly reduced so a 40 year old drinking coffee and drinking alcohol is not the same as a you know 25 or 30 year old drinking coffee and drinking alcohol broadly speaking it's going to have a more of a, a negative effect on an older woman mm. i think it's fascinating and it's certainly it got me thinking actually about you know obviously having a daughter and you have two daughters, don't you? But starting to think about getting more conscious and mindful of looking after. You know, I, if I'm honest, I was one of those pretty unconscious people through my early 20s. I just didn't think about it in a... Sure. Yeah, of course, yeah, in a sort of conscious way, in a mindful way. I just assumed that one day when I wanted to get pregnant, mm. it would happen. And I was one of the lucky ones because it did. Mm. I've had some friends, you know, and I really see the emotional... You know, uh, through, we have friends who've gone through IVF. Yes, the physical challenge of that, which I was pretty ignorant to before. I had close friends go through it, but also the huge emotional That's challenge. That's something that you're really passionate about teaching as well, isn't it? Is how yeah. do we make ourselves emotionally resilient? Yeah to think about whatever path we might be on, whether that's trying, not trying, pregnant, not pregnant. Yes, and there's a lot of discussion about this. I mean, again, it's going back to the stress, how much does stress play a part and how are our emotions involved in all of this and western medicine is very far behind on this thinking and i think different emotions affect us in different ways so in chinese medicine we say that grief affects the lungs sadness affects the heart and anger affects the liver energy so we have a very close relationship with the emotions and exactly how they impact on the body and that gives us as chinese medicine practitioners a really elegant way in to be able to witness them and to help people find strategies for sorting them out and a lot of my work is based around that giving people the skills that they need and being able to deal with their emotional picture in a way that's really beneficial to them and it's not to say that people can be quite uh, judgmental around this it's not to say that you've caused it or you know you've chosen this lots of spiritual circles i think there's this idea that, that we choose the hardship in our life and all of that you know i think we can take this stuff too far bad stuff happens to good people every day but it's how well equipped you are to deal with those things to me that's the important thing you know? yeah I totally agree mm. I totally agree and I loved some of the stories that you tell of the women who through their struggles to get fertile have almost found themselves yeah again yeah. I love that yeah I love that and you had a similar experience didn't you do you mind sharing that where yeah. you sort of you know would describe yourself as a wounded healer for a few yeah. years and had a year or two I think where yeah you really transformed your relationship with yourself yeah I think um when I was at that stage where I was running my practice and my children were young. I was trying to be all things to all people. I was trying to be the perfect mom and build a practice and be there with bells on for everybody else. But I was really rejecting myself and my own needs. And that can't go on for too long. I mean, I crashed two cars in <laughs> six months and then I was diagnosed with breast cancer. So I had a massive wake up call. and. You know, in a lot of the kind of spiritual work that I've done and the spiritual reading, you know, it's a, it's a or you can call it a call to adventure or it's, um, a, you know, an offer, opportunity within a crisis. Yeah. You know, all of those transformational ideas, turning our wounds into wisdom. These are all themes that I'm very keen on. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I think it's... We're changing the way we think about pain because I think that I was saying to you earlier, the lie that we've all been told is that there will be no suffering and there will be no pain. That simply isn't true. And if there is, we can take an instant remedy to yes. uh, get rid of it, of course. Exactly, exactly. And we can just go on. But of course, life is full of suffering and, and most people will come across suffering at some point in their, their lives. And I think what happens is that we're very often very ill-equipped to deal with that. And I think that happens a lot in particular and I think that what happened with me is that I was just giving, 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 giving. And actually that comes from quite a, a broken part in someone, you know. I had to kind of go back and go, why do I think I'm not worth looking after? Why do I look after everybody else but reject my own needs? And 
it's probably not for this the show but it you know it required that I went back and did the work on that part of me that was rejecting and that part of me that was rejecting myself so that I could go forward from a more powerful and strong position so that I could continue to do the work that I needed to do. Does it feel very different today the energy that you bring to your life having had that experience yeah, I mean, I think this is once you start unpacking everything from the attic, it's a, an endless job. <laughs> so I think we all have stuff that we need to work on. And I think often people in my position who are seeing a lot of people, you, you have to do a lot of work yourself. So I would say that the work that I do is ongoing, but I am not a, a wounded healer anymore. I would say that I'm the alchemist now. <laughs> so now it's about, you know, how do I use that experience and bring it to do something good in the world? Now, it's no good in the world if I'm going to be sick or I'm going to make myself sick by doing it and that's no example to other women yeah. either and it's no example to my children and my children are 17 and 22 but their ability to be authentic and to their self astounds me it's so much more mature than I was at that age and they have so much more clarity wow. than, than I had, which is such a beautiful thing to witness. Oh yeah, you've obviously done an incredible job that's my hope for Jessie is that you know whatever happens she can just she can just be okay with being her. Yeah. That's my number one wish yeah. for her. I personally don't think it's just my, me that's done that. I don't take <laughs> I think I'd be lucky. But I know, I think it is there in the zeitgeist, you know. It is out there at the moment. And I think, you know, some people are choosing that path and some people are, mm -hmm. you know, still struggling and, and they need support and they need resources and they need to be shown what resources they already have. And if they don't have resources, they need to learn how to get those resources. And that is a massive part of my work. Now. Yeah, and we're gonna dig into that a lot. For me, this is you know one of the reasons I was so excited to chat to you on this, because it's something that I see in the work that I do with mothers again and again and again. You know, the same themes, interestingly, that you're mm. talking about, getting on the give, give, give train I, I talk about, and you know, this need to be perfect and in control. And you know, when I work with, with a woman about that, I will encourage someone to look at why that is. And of course I know it because that was me. Yeah. You know, I was a caretaker in my family. Sure. Um, so I felt that part of my role, and I got a lot of my affirmation from giving. Yeah, exactly. I didn't know how to give that affirmation to myself. Yeah. Especially if it involves saying no to someone else. That yeah. was like hell on earth to me. Yeah, because they might not like you. they might not like me. <laughs> so, and now, you know, a, a real yardstick of my progress is that I can say no to someone to do something for me. Yeah. And then I know I'm in a, yeah. I'm in a good place that day if I can do that. Yeah. No, and it's really good and it is a work, it's definitely a work, work in progress. But you can do so much more in the world if you are authentic and you're not coming from a broken place all the time. And none of this is to say that women have caused their, their, you know, their no, problems. No, of course not. And, no, no. It, not. and it's actually the opposite to that. It's like because we, for a while, have been living in this blame culture that somebody has to blame, mm. that we always look for things outside of ourselves to either blame or to explain our current situation. Whereas even if you didn't manifest it yourself, there's always stuff that you can do to make your situation better. Yeah, absolutely. And I always think, you know, that everything that I do and everyone, every human being I think is either love or a call for love. You know, mm. it all comes from a really good place, just yeah. wanting to be loved. Definitely. But I know for me, you know, I, I had some weird ideas about how to get that that didn't serve me anymore and I had yeah. to thank them and put them down and... <laughs> You know, move on to a different... I've got this, this image of myself from that time, which is like carrying a very heavy bag of potatoes up a very steep hill, you know, and this sort of figure is getting more and more broken by this need to just do everything, be perfect mm. and run around. And, mm. It's yeah. a myth, isn't it? Yeah. And what does your personal practice look like today? Do you do anything? I mean, you've talked about your lovely ritual with the gratitude and the water. Is mm -hmm. there anything else that you do to keep yourself... Yeah, every nourished. day. I mean, every day is a day of creating balance for me. And I've heard recently people on social media saying balance is BS, and <laughs> which makes me laugh because it's the whole of Chinese medicine is based on that. But, but it, it's about trying to make it 
work, but not in the more effortless way. You know, mm. I think I was always efforting all the time to make it work. And now it's in everything, actually. I take the road of least, least resistance. I look for the signs. I see what opens up easily. I don't push things. We were talking about that mm. earlier. I don't push mm. against the grain. Mm. I put the work in, but not in that slavish way that I used to. And it's more that. I think this is such a good point, because I've seen that balance is BS thing. And actually, I did a talk about this last week and my view on it is that I think we've got the wrong idea of balance out there that people think that balance is the before of you and I you know where it's like trying to make everything perfect and I do 10% of this and 29% of that and trying to fit everything in and 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 tie it all in in a dysfunctional way exactly Mm. tying it all in neat boxes and trying to exert control to achieve balance which to me is a total paradox yes it's just like this doesn't happen it can't work can it so what I sort of think, and, I, and it'd be good to get your view as well, is that balance for me today is something that happens inside of me. Sure. Yeah. That actually things can be look pretty off balance outside. Yeah. I I'm knackered this morning. I don't know what I'm doing this afternoon. You know, there's no perfection in my life, but yeah. inside I feel a sense of calm and peace. Sure. That feels like balance to me. Yeah, exactly. And it's the small things, you know. It's the small choices. It's the choices to of how you respond to things and. You know, those are the things that you can make a difference to. All of that is within your control. <laughs> so all of that is down to you. And I see a lot more around me. I've, I've got a greater sense of awe and wonder these days. Mm-hmm. You know, that idea that you see the divine in everything. I mean, I'm not always, I don't always see the divine in everything and everyone, but I look for it. So if I see a beautiful flower, I think, oh, what a beautiful flower. And I fill myself up with that. Mm-hmm. To me, that is about achieving balance because when I'm not in a balanced place all I'll see is all the terrible stuff like I didn't get the, the train I didn't come on time yeah. and, you know all, yeah. all the stuff that really grinds you down whereas so often in life there are little mercies and miracles everywhere you just have to be open to see them I sometimes I feel like I endlessly talk about gratitude but this mm. is why because I think it's our responsibility to create that it's actually that you know there's so much to be grateful for however rubbish you know life feels and trust me I've been there Mm. there's always something and I actually think it's our responsibility to find that balance with our own mental health and outlook yeah I think you know I've had two miscarriages I've had cancer twice but I still and maybe even more so because I have been through those experiences Mm. that I am able to connect to what is good and what is pure and what is divine you know and how that can fill me up and what that can do for me. And I, I feel like we run away from suffering so much, but there's so many gifts in it as well. Of course, I would have never chosen to have cancer, especially not twice, but actually through that process of going through that, I've learned so many things that I would never. In fact, one of my great teachers said to me, <laughs> he said, lucky you, you'll become a great master after this. And obviously at the time I was a little bit like, ready to punch okay. him. <laughs> um, no, but it was just such a beautiful thing to yeah. say because it made me see the power and the possibility for transformation within it. I mean, that's been my experience. You know, the heart, I've gone through some hard things. Mm but they've been the best things because mm. I never would have found this path that you know I found myself on yeah. if I hadn't have gone through those and I also learned the hard way that most of my pain has come from trying to avoid pain yeah exactly in activities outside of myself yeah actually when I just sit with it it's not so bad I remember how scary it was when I decided the first time that I was just going to sit with a big feeling Mm. Yeah, about 10 years ago. I remember that, you know, and I really empathise today with friends or, you know, women that come and see me. Yeah. That fear of stopping running. Yeah, it's so much more possible to have these conversations now, which is why I feel so happy that this sort of stuff is being talked about a lot more not enough but yeah not enough but it is coming through and I think these are the sorts of conversations that women need to have you know instead of the sort of getting stuck in the negativity and that's okay too sometimes to say I feel like this and that's not okay this isn't to say that you have to walk around going I'm so happy and positive all the time no it's the opposite for me it's It's being brave enough to feel the yeah. when I feel shit exactly and I said to um, I remember saying to a really lovely um, 
practitioner friend of mine, I said, oh, when I was in the middle of one of the cancer situations, I said, some days I feel full of grief and anger and some days I feel so powerful, I feel like a goddess. <laughs> he said to me, all goddesses are full of grief and anger. And I was like, that's just so true. So true. We all have all of these aspects to ourselves, yet we hide them and... You know, we don't want to show our anger or we're ashamed of our anger or all of that. That's all part of us. Hmm. And you're taking a lot of this wisdom and applying it into this beautiful programme that you've yeah. created that I really want to talk about. Yeah. Is it about fertility or more about the emotional readiness around whatever fertility journey and outcome yeah, well, you might be called, on? It's called 90 Days Fertile. And I like to use the word fertile because for me, fertile extends outside of fertility and into life itself. So to me, being fertile is to be abundant, prolific and have resources, you know, and fruitful. You know, mm. that's what fertile means to me. And so I deliberately called it 90 Days Fertile so that it's a positive statement and I hope that other people trying to conceive or people that maybe are thinking about conceiving in a few years time will also be attracted to it as well and the program is really designed to stop you from falling into the trap of barren thinking what's barren thinking so barren thinking is that lack thinking and I was quite scared to use the word barren because it's quite confronting it is yeah Yeah, especially in your work yeah but it's not a word that we use anymore we don't do we no so it doesn't quite have the same uh, sting to it I think and Mm. and luckily no one has taken any offense (laughs) from it but uh, what I mean by that is that coming from a place of lack so barren thinking is there's never going to be enough there's not enough babies there's not enough money if someone else is winning that then i'm losing you know there's not enough of anything fear it's fear Fear, based and we know that fear base is all around us we're fed it all of the time and it's helping move you to a place of fertile thinking and in fertile thinking there is always enough if someone else is winning that's great for you because we're all winning and we can all help shows each other. what's possible and, yeah, that's what i exactly. always think that's my reframe <laughs> exactly so it's collaboration over competition and in my little fertile world everything is always enough and you're always enough it's a process and it's giving people the tools to really feel into that so it's an online program and yep. are you guiding through people is it a daily do people check in let's get into they get it. how some, does it get some sent something every day every day so for 90 days for 90 days it's 90 days 90 pounds so you get either an mp3 or a video or a meal plan it's broken into five pillars which are flexibility creativity nourishment transformation and belief and we I should talk through, through those because, yeah. yeah. Do they come in an order or yeah, do people start choose? With flexibility. Okay. So, flexibility, it's like you're starting off on the journey as a pioneer. And even if you've been on the journey for a long time, it's a chance to sort of take a step back and start again. So, it doesn't matter if you're thinking about having a baby or you've been struggling for several years, it's still relevant to everybody. But in flexibility and you're the pioneer and you're setting off on this journey and there will be struggles along the way, but it's teaching you how to meet them with flexibility rather than control. Mm. Every pillar has a little toolbox. So in your toolbox you have, I won't give it all away because there's some really sweet things in there. Yeah, And it's very, very layered, but there's lots of things in your toolbox to help you. So there'll be things like affirmations or there might be things like essential oils or it's very, very layered from all the so, disciplines and the richness the that you, you bring yeah so you spend i don't know is it a week to 10 days in each pillar going through them all i'm trying to do my maths now yeah that's about right yeah so you've got a beginning bit which is laying the groundwork then you've got the pillar of flexibility and then you move on to creativity creativity is all about our heart it's about our fire our passion in life Mm. it's also about community so who are your people who are your support team who looks after you you know it's not just you on your own you have a support team Mm. out there you have your friends you have you know whoever it is that you have in your life but also it's about your place in the wider community and how we've lost that and how actually that really feeds us as human beings. I know we have our online communities now, which is great as well. And I think that I've had some incredible things happen through things like Instagram. Yeah, same, yeah. And I think that's wonderful, but I think actual community is really important as well, even in a small way, you know. 
And can you tell the story about, is it Laura? Yeah, because I love amazing it. Laura. I love it too, and I love her, and our lives have stayed connected. It's such a beautiful relationship. And so um, Laura was a patient of mine, oh, a long time ago, 15 years ago. And <laughs> she had had two children, and she'd sort of given up everything in her life that made her happy. Not that she wasn't happy with her children, she adored her children, and she was devoted to them, but she had lost herself. Mm. She'd lost herself in the process, and... And she came to me, and I didn't feel she was quite ready to have another baby. I felt like it was expected, and and she expected it of herself, and it was a pressure she was putting on herself, but she'd lost herself, a part of herself, you Mm. know. And I asked her, I said, what really makes your heart sing? What do you love to do? And she said, well, I used to love to paint, but I haven't picked up a paintbrush in many years. And I said, well, I want, that's what I want you to do. That's your medicine. I want you to go out and sign up for an art course and you'll have another baby. Promise you you'll have another baby. <laughs> but I think that you need to do this first. And the wonderful thing was, is that she did conceive while she was on her course. She gave me the painting that, oh. she, was, that she painted as a gift. And she's gone on to be the most incredible mother and the most incredible artist. Is she? Yes, and she's actually at the Chelsea Flower Show this year and I saw her just the other day. And actually, she's been an incredibly big part in my life as well because I've ended up talking about that. Yeah, story. And there's yeah, lots of stories yeah. about that, but it's such an iconic story for me and there's lots of little examples of that. But it was, yeah, it's a particularly beautiful story. And so we sort of stayed in each other's lives a, a lot and, and we met up the other day and she said, oh, I'm, a, I'm a, you know, she gave me a painting. She said, I'm exhibiting at uh, the Chelsea Flower Show. And yeah, it's just really very touching and beautiful. What I just love so much about that is she probably came in and thought she was going to get, I don't know, some, you know, fertility. It's a need, yeah, and she got prescribed going to art class, which is clearly exactly what she needed. Yeah, and you know what? She said the other day, she said, to this day, when I drink chicken soup, I always think about you. (laughs) She said, whenever I'm nourishing myself, I think about you. And I was like, well, that's job done. You know, if I can teach women how to nourish themselves, then... That's really important. Well, that's one of my favourite quotes of yours, is that if you're going to nourish another, yeah, you have to nourish yourself first. Yeah, and that leads very nicely into the pillar of nourishment. <laughs> nice segue there. So nourishment is all about the food that we eat, but it's also about where else in our life do we get nourishment from. So what nourishes us, what nourishes our soul. And in that different way to a passion, because your passion that was the one before is that burning passion, that's your fire. Mm-hmm. But this is like how connected you are to earth. It's, it's very it's softer, isn't earth. it? When I think of nourishment, I think of a soft energy. Yeah. yeah, and it's Mother Earth. You know, this is the pillar of Mother Earth. Interestingly, I didn't really realize when I was writing it, but when I got to the end of it, I was like, there's quite an environmental underpinning to this whole program because of course what we do to the planet we do to ourselves Mm -hmm. and as the planet becomes less fertile so do we and I really think each and every one of us has to wake up to that and quickly because it's all very well wanting children but we want them to live in a beautiful world as well so this is about taking care of mother earth and taking care of yourself and it's very interesting to me that this destruction of mother earth is also impacting on the destruction of women you know as well i don't think they're separate yeah well they can't be energetically separate can no. they they have to be the same you know how we treat things outside of ourselves is how we treat ourselves yeah. that's how i think of it yeah and so, um, damaging the mother is not a great way to carry on is it no. No. so that's nourishment and Obviously, everyone is food obsessed, and I know that everyone always wants the food bit, but I encourage everybody... So there's recipes in there? Yeah, there's also meal plans and things like that. Okay, so do people have to go on a particular diet through the 90 days? Not really, it's a gentle... I've tried to make this programme not about food. I wrote a book about food, which is called Fertile, and people want the food journey, they can, you know, they can go and do that. And I deliberately, this is more about emotions, but obviously under nourishment, I, would, I could have not yeah. put anything on food in. So there's talking about nourishment, but there's also a lot of stuff on digestion. So, because of course, diet is important, but digestion is everything. Yep. So there's a lot of stuff on that, of the gut. So yeah, that's the nourishment pillar. Is there a favorite element in that pillar, like an affirmation or some an activity that you, you want to share where you think people are just going to love? 
I think for me, it is the idea of the connection to Earth. I think that's my... And then there's a couple of exercises in okay. there about that. Getting and people to think about their sort of external footprint. Yeah, and their connection to the planet. Every pillar has a little bit of that in, particularly that one and particularly the last one. And in the toolkits, there is a little environmental thing in each of them. A little thing for Mother Earth well. <laughs> <laughs> to help her. Transformation is possibly one of my favourite pillars because, and that's the next pillar, because that is such a strong theme in my own life, but mm. also in the lives of the women that I see often. And that is the idea of becoming the alchemist. So being able to turn the wounds in our life into wisdom and what we do with them. And my father very much taught me this, that it's our duty to find out what our gift is and bring it to the world. And that when we do that, we allow other people to do that through our willingness to kind of shine our light, really. Yeah. And my father died when I was 16, which was incredibly hard. But again, there's transformation within that because he died. I sort of imbued much more of his wisdom, maybe, than I might have done if he had been. You know, I clung on to that wisdom that he gave me, those small nuggets that I mm. remember. And you found this yeah. path that yeah. does exactly that, doesn't it? Yeah. So transformation is totally about letting go of grief and it's about the ability to really transform those difficult times in our life. So does the transformation mean that people are going to have to sort of change jobs, change a lot in their lives? Or are you talking about an inner transformation? It might be inner, it might be outer. I mean, a lot of people that come and see me do change their outer life. <laughs> so, yes, I should get people to sign something. I can't be responsible for what Yeah, happens. exactly. <laughs> well, sometimes it is necessary for us to let go of things. You know, and sometimes you have to walk into a place of nothingness to actually move through things. And you have to be prepared to let go of stuff. Mm. And I've had to let go of things in my life that have been incredibly painful things to let go of but it's usually because something different is coming or that that is necessary that I move through that in order to move on to the next thing and if you want a life where you move forward then it's transformation is inevitable yeah, yeah. I mean I would say I almost trans I'm not sure I transform daily I certainly evolve somehow daily because yeah. I'm so different every day yeah and the world's so different every day and this is evolution exactly that word this is evolution and this, there's a really lovely meditation in here where you're standing in front of a doorway and you can see past is new and behind you the kind of ground is falling away behind you and you, you've got this very gentle energetic push pushing you forward and you can't quite see what's ahead of you but you're moving forward anyway mm. and that's the faith isn't it that yeah. you have to lean on you know not a, yeah. I'm not talking about religious faith but just a faith in yeah. the workings of this unbelievable world that we live in yeah so yes, it's the ability to move forward and to transform painful parts of our life. It's to be the alchemist, you know. Do you see that as well around with people's fertility journeys that there isn't enough space created? Gosh, yes. Yeah, I mean the loss of time on women's health, I think, has been catastrophic. I mean, mm. we talk about sugar, and um, the loss of time, I think, is you know, and even from when I had my children, you know, I feel like there's far more pressure on women to be all things yeah and then I look at my children and I think my children are going to leave saddled with death leave university saddled with death and so even more pressure so it's not a an issue that I see is going away so we're going to need to find to build skills and something I guess is really relevant to this pillar in particular and really one of my core beliefs is this actually came from the meditation, it's very beautiful, is that the world that these children are being born into, they are going to need really amazing skills. They're going to need resilience, kindness, compassion. They're going to have to be tenacious. They're going to have to be flexible, create, you know, all of the things that I talk about, these are skills that the children being born into the world are going to need. Wow, so you're teaching the, the mothers teaching. or the potential mothers. And then, I guess, they're then going to pass these thinking down. I think that those couples that struggle, people say, oh, they love their children more because they struggle. No, love is love. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. love is love. I don't think, you know, you can't can measure that. love, no. can you? And if it's conditional, <laughs> it's not love because it's got conditions on it. You know what I mean? It's like love is love. That I'm sure about. 
but I think that by going through difficult times, exactly as we say, you gain skills you didn't know you had. And of course you'll end up teaching those to your children. So we are raising, I'm not saying I'm raising the vibration of the planet through my program, but through the fact that people go through these struggles and difficulties, they're already learning these skills with or without. I think that's such an important point around this and around the pillars, and I know we've got one last one still to discuss, is that choice moment, isn't it? Mm -hmm. You know, when things don't go our way, whether that's our fertility or our jobs or whatever, Mm. for me, there's a moment of choice. Yeah. Or am I going to go into the victim and the poor me and the more lack thinking and the barren thinking, as you would call it, and and then what am I going to teach those around me? Or can I step into the, what I, you know, you call abundance thinking. Yeah. Fertile thinking, which is, what can I learn from this? Yeah. You know, what could this be here to teach me? These are the, some of the things that I've asked myself through my life as yeah. I've gone through hard things. And I really have used those to definitely transform. Yeah, definitely. I mean, when I had cancer, you can either sit there. I mean, and I ran through all the possibilities in my head. What would not coping look like? Yeah. Okay, so I could stay in bed and I could overeat and watch telly all day. Or I could become a bag lady on the side of the street. Or I could run off to the Himalayas and have an inappropriate affair. Or, you know, I kind of went through all of these things that I might do. (laughs) Scream naked through the streets. And I just thought, no. And I never talked about... A battle or and I know for some people they find that language helpful fine that's whatever yeah. helps yeah. you but for me I was like what can I learn from this mm-hmm. what can this teach me what is this trying to say it's not to say why did I get cancer or why am I in purpose not that because I don't think that's a matters. really important point because I think yeah. that is a bit that you know as you talked about in the spiritual self-development community you know this happened to me for a reason and I yeah. think it's different saying this happened to me because shit happens yeah but I have a choice now. That's the healing. The healing isn't in the keep running over and over why and da 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 da. The healing is in what do I choose now? How do I go forward? And I think that's where a lot of the self-help spirituality, exactly as you say, can go very wrong. Yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, the last pillar is belief and that is a really important belief, isn't it? Yeah. So I think the interesting thing about belief and hope is that we think that it's nothing and actually it's everything. I'm really glad because I had a friend who was really, really struggling. She kept early miscarrying and, you know, and I started to, I never push what I think onto my friends or, you know, but I sort of invited her to think about some of the language that she was using. And she said to me, you know, Zoe, I get what you mean, but I'm too scared to believe and I'm too scared to hope. It's easier that I think it's not going to happen, and then when it doesn't, the disappointment feels less. Yeah. Do you okay, hear so that? that's barren thinking. <laughs> so the interesting thing about belief is it's the antidote to fear. And the negative emotion attached to this pillar, in, and there's a negative emotion attached to all of them, but the one that is attached to this is despair mm. and fear. Mm. I think mean, anyone on a fertility journey knows those feelings don't they? Absolutely and it's not to say that they're not valid and you mustn't think them if you feel those and think them then that needs to be investigated but the idea is to move you out of that and into belief because belief and hope are not nothing belief and hope are everything and I think that they're at the very heart of healing mm-hmm. and there's so much evidence now I was going to say there's this. so many studies now <laughs> yes. that this stuff's being yes. you know listened to and yes. you know plants dying and how we talk to them you know yes. so much in this program sorry to say but there's quite a lot of homework in this one in, in this sorry in the belief one there's quite a lot of, of work because you spend three days identifying your self-limiting beliefs right yeah it's or almost like a mini sort of coaching program yes. in there yeah so there's two or three days what am I self limiting beliefs and then what are the resources that I need to deal with them yeah so it's identifying what resources you already have and those might be inner or outer resources and we know now because we've looked at the brain and what happens in the brain that we know that you can rewire neural pathways to have more positive self-belief systems and that actually when we have these self-limiting beliefs we, we attract that often to ourselves yeah so again it's not blame. If you're stuck in blame, then you're in barren thinking. 
it's about giving you the tools to work your way through some of this stuff. It takes courage, doesn't it? Yeah. What's and the support around the programme? The so the basic programme is the basic programme and okay. at any point you can upgrade to have Skype consultations with me. Okay. So it's deliberately low cost so that it's really accessible, it's accessible yeah. to a lot of people. But if people want to upgrade, they can do that and have a one-to-one -one Skype, which you can do at any point in the programme. So that gives it a whole other so you're not just left alone you know and I'm going to create an online community as well where people can have you know share chats and there will be free online stuff as well so it's kind of very multi-layered and I think it will really evolve at the basic point it's a 90-day program that will be delivered every day but I think it will really grow from there I hope that's my hope for it as well, well I'm sure it will because yeah. I think you know even just the, the space in our days to think about some of this stuff yeah. is an amazing gift just yeah. being asked a powerful question, I think, is one of the, yeah. you know, again, giving ourselves time to ponder that yeah. is amazing. So I'm sure there'll be lots of... Yeah. And, and I recommend lots of other resources as mm. well. So mm. at the end, I'm going to recommend other resources that, that if it's spurred your thinking, that I can lead people in the right direction. It's about opening doors to people rather than offering them all the solutions because, as you know, I can possibly do that and I would never set myself up yeah, to do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's really about giving you the tools to think about things in another way, maybe opening your mind to other ways of thinking. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. You know, more than when I started on this path, which was about 11 years ago, it wasn't really out there, it wasn't really talked about. Now there's so much, and yeah. I sometimes wonder if I'd have found it harder, actually, because yeah. because my belief is that when I started this inner work, I was just then learned to be guided to different things, which I knew would help me on my next journey. And I found Kundalini, I never thought I'd find Kundalini, you know, and all these yeah. different things. Yeah, so I think that's a really important point of just letting people you know, giving people the space to go yeah. within and then letting them be guided to where they need to. Yeah, and that we all have to learn that because it's like, you know, lots of this stuff is just to open that door mm. and just to say, do you know, there's another way here. And you either take that step or you don't and there will be bits that people hate, I'm sure, and there'll be bits that people love and it, it's a generic programme. So. so what's your hope for people? Is your hope that people do this you know who are struggling with fertility or is your hope that it talks to a much broader audience I think ultimately my hope is that I talk to a broader audience and I've always had that hope that that we think outside of just that moment when we're trying to conceive mm. that we see fertile or our fertility as this you know 20 year period of our life and it, it's more than just, I want a baby and I want a baby now. And I always have this discussion with publishers because I remember, I think it was my second book, and I said, I want to write a book for younger women who might want to engage in their fertility. And they said, oh, yes, that's a lovely idea. We'll go off and we'll talk to sales. <laughs> so the sales are the money people. Yeah. And so they went off and they talked to sales and they were like, oh, no, we want a book for women who want to be pregnant now because we need a hook. And they're the people that are going to buy books. And I was like, well, I've written a book for people that want to be pregnant now. So I did write that book and I weaved that message of fertility preservation through it and I finished the book by saying if you've liked this book please give it to a younger woman in your life yeah, yeah, that's um, so I did manage to get there but it is that idea again that we don't start engaging in this stuff until we want it right now and then when we want it right now or obviously automatically there's enormous amount of pressure on control fear you know all the things that we've been talking Time's about running out and so my hope is that I sort of extend that window of how we think about fertile and we think about fertile in that broad way as, you know, building resources. You know, it's conscious parenting and conscious parenting, it has to begin before you want to be pregnant now, you know. It's about what do I want to bring into the world and it's all of those questions that we just think, usually we just think, well, I want a baby and, you know, it'd be quite nice if it was a girl or quite nice if it would be a boy and then I can paint the nurse with that, kind of, you know what I mean? And I'm not, that's okay too. But it's also a lot more than that, isn't it? It's a huge responsibility. So I ask everyone the same question at the end of each interview, which is that if you could give all the mothers or potential mothers out there in the world one thing, what would it be and why? It would be a little bag of magic tricks. <laughs> one would be um, an invisibility cloak. <laughs> be good <laughs> but what's that, that other thing that they have in Harry Potter where it gives you a bit more time where it elongates time oh I don't know <laughs> but I'd like that <laughs> but, and I think a magic wand to tidy up 
<laughs> so a little bag of tricks, but I, I think time is important. I think actually if women have an hour to themselves mm. every day, really to themselves, rather than just having to fight for that hour and then not knowing what to do in that hour because they didn't know they were going to get that hour. <laughs> I remember that feeling. It's like, oh, thanks, I've got an hour. What shall I do? I don't really know how to be anymore. I wouldn't know what to do with this Or I've hour. sometimes had, you know, a morning off and got so overwhelmed with all the things that I could do that I've ended up... I could go to yoga. I could go to a recovery meeting. I could see a friend. I could go shopping. Ah, I don't know. And then just end up doing yeah. nothing. Because <laughs> going back to that, what I was saying <laughs> earlier, is the erosion of time on women's health, I think, has been catastrophic. And I think the, the current generation is even under more stress than I was, and, you know, my generation was. So I think time is so mm. precious. Mm. It is. Well, Emma, thank you so much. <laughs> my pleasure. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Please check out my Instagram where we continue the conversation and I post daily about all things motherhood and well-being. Also, if you haven't already, have a look at my website because I've been writing more and more blogs and I'm also putting on there all the events and talks that I'm giving. And of course, if you haven't, then please do have a listen to some of the other episodes because I'm chatting to some really incredible women that I'd love you to enjoy. And if you did enjoy it, then please, please leave a review on iTunes. It does make a massive difference to the number of mums that we can reach with this content. So thank you very much. Hi, I'm Lauren. And I'm Nicole. And if you enjoy this show, you will love our podcast, Self Care Club. Every week, we trial a different form of self-care and report back on the results. We've tried everything from cuddle therapy, setting boundaries, laughter yoga, and many more. Two friends who rarely agree on anything, testing out the world of self-care so you don't have to. We've even written a book dedicated to self-care practices that cost you nothing. You can listen to Self Care Club wherever you get your podcasts. Or to purchase our book, search Have You Tried This on Amazon.